Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three and three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Yeah! Yeah! So great. And my man Odell Beckham has every reason to be pumped up because he's got a lot of reasons. He's just got 22 million a year reason, 95 million total, 64 yeah. guaranteed. I think it's crazy kind of the way Odell Beckham's arc, like career arc, public perception arc sure. has gone up and down and fluctuated because it wasn't that long ago when every back page, you know, uh, headline of the New York Post Daily News. It was like, oh, what are the Giants going to do? They should trade him. They should move on from him. And I must admit, like I'll fully admit, I was in this camp. I was like, you know what? Maybe they should explore those options. Correct. I remember. And, and now <laughs> we're sitting here and he has been rewarded with now the richest contract in history for a wide receiver. He got paid. And I I kind of feel like, you know what? He did the right things. Like he played the part. He went to offseason workouts, showed up at training camp, and proved to the Giants that he was worth this money. Um, I agreed with you at times that he might need to grow up a bit in terms of a professional persona, what you project, if that's going to be the face of your franchise, and to some degree, the face of the league. Like, this is one of these personalities that you can build a brand on. Like, not the NFL needs to build a brand, but you can continue the brand. Um, so I agreed with you in some regards, but I felt like I couldn't have felt more different than you and any other back. But you don't let talent like that walk. Right. You don't let a guy like that who you've seen what he can do. Now, clearly... There was a little, a little bit of a slip the year before he got injured, and last year he was injured. But you've seen what he can do when healthy. You don't just let talent like that walk away. And I thought it was very clear by the Giants making this move by guaranteeing locking him up basically until, like Dave Gettleman said, until he's 108. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been, and, and I think they showed in the draft that they're in the win now mode, which is I don't, I don't know why every team is in win now. I get some teams are further away than others, but this was a bad team last year, and they're and I think the expectation should be they should contend for the playoffs. So they drafted Saquon Barkley instead of selecting Sam Darnold or another quarterback that they might have liked. Right. I thought that was them very clearly saying, you know what, we believe Eli Manning has a couple more years left, maybe two or three or four, however you look at how he's going to age out. And by this one, I think they're very clearly saying, you know what. There might be cap issues down the road, but as for right now, we want to give Eli Manning every chance to get that third Super Bowl, and I, that's another reason why I think it was a smart move. Yeah, and it, like in a market like New York, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of like we're building for the future time. Like I mean, you, the Knicks are exhausting all of that, right? They they have the win uh, down the road mentality, and there's no room in the New York market for anybody else saying that. Maybe even the Mets, but I, I think that the Giants are going to be a better team. I don't think they were that bad last year. I mean, I know their record was that bad, right? There were some issues, but who was the knucklehead that was coaching them last year? McAdoo, right? I, I think that a lot of what happened there last year was a result of like the dysfunction that he and his coaching staff, um, like I want to say allowed to take place or, or responsible for. So I actually think not only did they pick up some more weapons and did they build for now, but I think they'll be better just be addition by subtraction without Ben McAdoo and staff. You, you mentioned something. It's, it's all about respect. The players did not respect Ben McAdoo. They just, you could see it. They didn't, they didn't respond to his coaching style. Some guys are made to be offensive coordinators, mm -hmm. position coaches, and they just don't have what it takes. Can be really good at it and exactly. not, right. Exactly. And I think that's the situation you had. And there's so much parody in the NFL. 
that you really it's really hard to go 0 and 16 like the Browns or 3 and 13 like the Giants. It's it's more of a sign that the team has given up on you, that they've quit on you. And once you notice that, if you're an owner or a general manager, that's when you have to move on. And I love Pat Shermer. Get an offensive minded coach in there who, you know, we saw what he did last year with the Vikings and Case Keenum. Now he's got some weapons to actually work with. They've drafted, you know, for the offensive line to have free agency uh additions to the offensive line to protect Eli Manning. It is an offensive driven year, a, a, a league now. I mean, you have to put up big numbers right. and they're uh, building specifically for that. So Dave Gettleman's comment after he said, I'm pleased because the litmus test for a contract is that neither side is ticked off before the ink can dry and neither side should be ticked off. It's a very fair deal. Uh, I'd be curious to know if the Giants feel that way in a year or two years. I think they'll get the max out of their money. I think they will. The only thing I'm worried about is how is Odell coming off the injury issue. But it's 2018. So, like we have medical, you know, treatments now that guys can come back to. Do you have more concerns about his his ability on the field because of the injury, or more concerns about his off the field and the growth that he's made in that regard in terms of the contract playing out over the next few years? I think he's played the part perfect. Like, like by coming back to camp, by going, you know, doing all the do right. Do you things. buy it? Not 100. percent Because you know what, actions speak louder yeah, than words. Totally. Like, let me see him. You know, be a pro. Let me see him grow up a little bit. Let me see him, um, you know, not get, you know, repeated 15 yard, you know, uh, personal foul calls against him so that he gets kicked out of a game. I think he'll be fine. I think he's a competitor. He wants to win and it should be fun to watch the Giants. I think they can contend for possibly one of those teams that go worst to first. It happens every year in the NFL. They go from worst in their division to first. There's always a team. It's like there's, there's a stat out there about how many times it's happened. It happens almost every year. I think the Giants are absolutely one of those teams that can contend there. So. How about the week one matchup though? Like he comes right out of the gate and that knee will be tested right off the rip with, oh, with yeah, tags. Sure. Jalen Ramsey and Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. And I love Jalen Ramsey's comment said, Hey, we're going, we're going to, it's going to be a show very soon. Now this will be a test because I guarantee you Jalen Ramsey's going to pull out of the book from Josh Norman and he's going to try him. He's going to talk smack. Well, this Jalen Ramsey is the greatest trash talkers of all time. It'll like test both the physical and, and, the, mental. and the mental. I'm part. not. I'm not as worried about the physical as I am about the mental. Right. To be 100 percent honest, like I just I'm worried about him growing up. And Jalen Ramsey is going to try him. Yeah. Like 100. I love it. I'm tuned in him. for that. Yeah. Me too. Um. You know who else got tried? Tom Brady. Well, leave Tom alone. I know, right? He's yeah. hey, he's I mean, the wait. goat, right? Oh. So he does his weekly morning show on WEEI. And the big news last weekend, there was a report that Alex Guerrero, Tom Brady's personal trainer, his yeah. best friend, yeah. his business partner, was allowed to travel on the team plane. The shaman. And, yeah, yes, that's Ooh. right, the guru. Ooh. So he was, and it made, it was, it was big news because that was a, a big part of the dissension between Brady and Belichick last year when right. Belichick said, you know what? I want him out of the locker room. I want him out of the facilities. I don't want him around. And that was a reason why Brady, you know, all of a sudden was, was not around all off season. Um, so he goes on and I think the radio show did a pretty good job. They had to ask him the question. Asked him a did couple they, on him. Did they? This is they Tom, had to ask, this is well, Tom's show, the, you're right? You're in the media now. But this, you are in the media now. You okay. have to ask the The only reason one. I asked that is because it's Tom's show though, right? Like this yes. is the show that they, Tom's had a relationship with these people for what, almost a decade maybe? Right. Something like that? He does a weekly spot with them throughout Correct. the season. Yeah, he comes on. So in, in their show, he comes on and does In that context, on. does he yes. have to does he have to ask Tom this question? You know it's an inflammatory question. You know. But you can ask it once. The problem I have is when they, when they push back and they come back for more and more, cause you could tell right away that Brady did not want to answer it, that he did not want to talk about it because, and here's where I think it gets really curious. So basically the question was, 
Um, they asked him about Guerrero, kind of an open-ended question. Then he said, yeah, Brady said, yeah, everyone knows it's well-documented the work he and I do together. So as vague as you can get. Oh. Then he pressed him, no, uh, this is Menehe, the, the, uh, the, the host, and no, I understand that. I'm just trying to figure out because I saw the reports this weekend that he was traveling with the team. Was he on the sideline Friday? <laughs> Brady said, yeah, all right, guys, have a great day. I'll talk to you later. He had had it. He had had enough with it. Here's, cause everybody was, I, I assumed it was an olive branch from Belichick extended to Brady. Right. Saying, hey, we'll let your guy go with us. You know, just kind of keep him away. Cause I did feel like Alex Guerrero overstepped his bounds. When he was in the training room, you know, pushing guys from medical techniques, kind of stepping on the trainers and the team doctor's toes. But I'm wondering, and this is like total speculation, do you think this came from Belichick as an olive branch, or do you think it came from Robert Kraft, who said, give Brady his boy back? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I don't know, and that's what I'm sure the radio hosts were trying to get to. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, Because Robert Kraft, like you would have to be in the Belichick camp in that, your training staff, because the people who who are affected are the training staff, and right. Kraft, you hired you hired them. They're your employees as well. Right. Um, my I don't have a hunch was it was probably Belichick saying, like, look, let's just let's get over this. You can have your guy. Realize how important it is to you. Yeah. Um, just you know, keep him out of the locker room. So you know what's interesting? I, I like I, I lived and ex- like I had an experience somewhat like this with Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve had a bad back, and he played played well like past the back issues, he'd have a dude named Rick Celebrini come down from Canada, who was his personal guy, and he would work with Steve throughout the season. He'd come down a few different times. Now, he wasn't in our locker room um, all the time, and he wasn't, um, you know, stepping on the toes. Like, we had Aaron Nelson, who had rehabbed a lot of careers, and along with Mike Elliott. Aaron's still with the, the Suns, and Mike Elliott's the head uh, trainer for the Jazz now. And they were really, really good at what they did. Uh, so when Rick would come in, they would kind of col- col- like collaborate on it. You know what I mean? It wasn't as they much as a, a plan. Yeah, it wasn't stepping on each other's toes. Their, their objective was to get Steve in the best shape they could get him in, and everyone played a hand in that. And then, you know, Mike and Aaron would try to continue the upkeep on Steve until Rick would come back because Steve now, was like you as a teammate. Did you ever go up and what, say, "Hey, let me check"? Like, let me can I get there some were, treatment? I didn't, but there were guys at times that had issues that were lingering. Uh, that I think that you know Rick would would touch them up here and there, but it never became a source of like uh, uh, like of, of a contentious relationship between everyone. Kind of got and understood. Now it would have been interesting to see if Rick was in Phoenix and put up a, a, a like a clinic right next to where right. we practice. Like maybe it would have got a little a little more interesting. But bottom line is when you got an MVP dude, like when you got Tom Brady, when you got Steve Nash, they're winning multiple MVPs, they're winning championships. I mean, not not Steve Nash, sorry, but but um. <laughs> You know, you, yeah. you want them at optimum level, both mentally and physically. And if Rick Celebrini or Alex Guerrero, in this case, represent that for that individual, then you, you kind of go with it. Yeah, for sure. So it looks like the relationship has been a little bit better. But there are a lot of people predicting the downfall of the dynasty, right? Like, this is the year. There's too much going on. There's too much dissension within the ranks. I've I've been tempted to go there before. But as long as Brady's healthy and as long as Belichick is on the sideline, I'm still taking this team. And they play in the worst division in the NFL. Right. When you look at the teams they have to beat just to win their division, they could be complete trash and still win their division because the Dolphins are awful, the Jets are going to be playing a rookie quarterback, and the Bills, who the heck knows who they're going to be playing a quarterback. The Patriots are going to waltz to the playoffs, and then once you get to the, to the to the party, once you get a seat at the table, and you've got those two guys there, it's it's on. I know he's 41. I know he's getting up there. I know there was all this dissension last year. But they're still going to be good. So here's the deal in my book. I agree with you in terms of the AFC East, right? Um, 
there it's a sliding scale between his talent and his ability and the 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 skill position weapons and playmakers you put around him, right? right? And it's been in balance. You know, he's been able to get away with maybe subpar guys because his talent has been just off the charts. As he continues to age, like father time doesn't get beat, right? Right. So while it's not falling off a cliff, maybe marginally it's getting less and less, and you're surrounding him with less and less talent. At some point, that balance it falls out of balance. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, so they you have to. Re- <laughs> at, dynasties don't last forever. At some point, you're going to have to get him the skill position guys that are going to be able to help him as as those win. Windows of opportunity that you can stick a ball into now yes. start to close on him. So we had Eric Decker save face by retiring because he was going to get cut. You had Kenny Britt cut. The receiving core, you don't have Julian Edelman. Uh, you've got a pretty good crew in Hogan, Dorsett, and Patterson. But I'll say this. Brady's won Super Bowls with guys just like this. But like that does it. You that know, was like at he, 35. Right, but it, but he's still playing at a peak level. Like He makes everybody better around him. That's the one thing that's probably Brady's great greatest feat. It's like Joe Montana had Jerry Rice throughout his career. Yeah. You know, all these other guys had some you know, some combo, some tandem. He's done it with different No, I, I can't time. argue that. So I was looking at the Patriots' uh, win totals for this year. They're set at 11.5 wins. Would you yeah. say they get more than 11.5 wins or less than 11.5 wins? Uh, I don't know their schedule off the top, but I'd probably say more than 11.5 So I think you'd be very smart because I think that's a high number that a lot of people, the public, the dumb, the dummies that are out there. They're gonna be like, oh, they're, they're, they're gonna fall, they're gonna fall, right. they're not gonna win 11 and a half games. They are a 12 win machine or more for the past decade. The last time they didn't win 12 games was 2009 and they Brady, were 10 and 6. Is that when Brady was injured? No, that was 2008. They went 11 and 5 without right. Brady. No. They just, they churn out wins like we've seen it. It's just, it's, they played the, uh, Debo hit me up. They play the NFC North out of conference. That could be challenging, but they're still, they're, the dynasty isn't going anywhere when you look at it. So I would jump on that over if you are so inclined to do that. And it'll be interesting to watch though, to see how they, uh, respond to some of this stuff. He's 41 years old. They do have some depth issues, but still you got Brady and Belichick, surest bet in all of sports. Sliding scale, baby. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's break. We got to talk some college football because we're right there. Yeah. It's week one, not week zero. It's great. What? A Miami Hurricane oh, is great. You stole me. that from the floor. Um, I think you guys stole that. Yeah, I think so. somebody else had it originally. All right. We're going to do some college football with Barrett Salee. That's coming up next on Off the Bench. All right. Welcome back to Off the Bench. We have, we had week zero last week. Four games, right? You know, kind of just get a little appetite. They don't ap- count. A little appetite. They, they don't, don't they, Yeah, I don't even, they Although don't some people in the office here might have put some money on it and lost too, but we won't get into that. But huge slate of, uh, games this week for week one. You've got big time matchups. Your Canes. Yes, I'm a little sir. bit nervous about them. Don't be. It's LSU. We got my Florida State Seminoles playing on Monday night. Could be. I love those because those are the biggest games in town. The only games that people are watching. Yeah. Sunday night, Monday night, those will be fascinating. Michigan Notre Dame, I think, is going to be huge. But you also have Washington Auburn, which is a huge game for conference bragging rights. It's the Pac 12 who's been really, you know, taking a beating the last couple of years as far as their perception. Yeah. And we've got a guy who's going to be there. Because Barrett Salee, he writes for us. He's a college football writer for CBS Sports. Uh, you got to check him out. He's all over CBS Sports HQ here. You can follow him on Twitter, at Barrett Salee on Twitter. Great follow. He's really solid with his picks. You did a fantastic job last year, Barrett. Like, i got to give you some props. Like, you nailed it, didn't you? I, yeah, I appreciate that, DK. I mean, I, look, i got a big, uh, a big bar to, to live up to. But uh, maybe it could start this week, although uh, week zero in Colorado State and Hawaii did not go so well. 
That was the same one that got everybody here in the office. Right? So don't, 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 don't feel too bad about it. Oh, that's my guy, Nick Rolovich. You gotta, don't sleep on Hawaii. Watch out for that, man. He comes out with the helmets. He brings Britney Spears to media days. Like he's got some tricks up his sleeve. So you gotta watch out yep. for them. How about Those the helmets game? with the stay were awesome, Fire. by the way. Loved them. Loved them. Uh, Washington Auburn. I, as a, I like to hold the SEC accountable, right? Like I try to make really? sure we ha- we see them with a proper, you know, scope, a proper perspective. I'm a little bit worried about the Washington Huskies coming down in a neutral site for them going to Hotlanta, uh, to play Auburn. What are you looking for in this game to unfold? Yeah, it's going to be about 70-30 Auburn at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. No, I think it's going to be one in the trenches. Auburn's defensive front, Jared Sidham gets a lot of the pub, but Auburn's defensive front is just absolutely filthy. Derek Brown is an absolute monster. Marlon Davidson, Dontavious Russell. That defensive front going up against a Washington offensive line that is relatively experienced, especially in the middle, is going to be interesting. But I think outside on the defensive side for Auburn, a guy like Nick Coe, TD Moultrie, those are going to be the difference makers in this game. If they can get in the backfield and disrupt plays, disrupt Miles Gaskin behind the line of scrimmage, get in Jake Browning's face, it's going to be a long night for uh, for Washington out there. But conversely, that offensive line, if they do their work and Miles Gaskin gets going, they can work off play action. And we've seen Jake Browning, right? Jake has led Washington to a playoff appearance before. So we know he's a good quarterback, but uh, I think it's going to be won and lost for Auburn up front. If they can get defensive pressure on Washington, it's going to get sideways. Uh, I'm going to keep it in the SEC because yesterday Dan Mullen uh, named Felipe Franks as the Gator starter. Is, is that the answer there in Florida? Are they in trouble if he's their best option at this point? Well, yeah, I mean, they're in trouble if they want to contend in the SEC East because Felipe Franks ain't doing that. I think, though, in the SEC East, it's it's a lower bar to 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 get to in order to be competitive. Outside of Georgia, I think South Carolina is going to be okay, but everybody else, I'm just not really buying all that much. So for Dan Mullen and for Florida, Felipe Franks, this is a transition year, right? He doesn't really fit what Dan wants to do, although he can run a little bit. Uh, but it's all about bridging the gap. And I think for Florida this year, you look at the schedule, they potentially could win eight games. But Felipe has not really been consistent. I think the one thing that he can fall back on is knowing that the running back core, especially getting Jordan Scarlett back, a guy who was suspended all of last year, he's a really good running back, and they're deep at running back, and they're experienced along that offensive line. So what they're going to ask Felipe Franks to do uh, isn't very much. He's just going to have to take care of the football. Can he do that? I, I have my doubts. Um, but he can do that at least some of the time, and he's got some ability. We saw that on the Hail Mary to, uh, against Tennessee to win that game at the buzzer. So uh, he's good enough to get them to a bowl game and keep them relevant. Anything beyond that is a little too aggressive. So, Barrett, there's a quarterback controversy in Tuscaloosa because of you really? and me. Like, we all, it's uh. our fault, according to Nick Saban. Remember, he was at SEC <laughs> media and said, you guys are the ones who want to create this quarterback controversy until Jalen Hurts comes out and says, Hey, somebody tell me what's going on. Um, we've got Tua, we've got Jalen. They were listed as the or, the lovely or in the depth chart, which, you know, gives nobody any clue there. <laughs> I think, I think Nick's going to do what he's done before. Louisville's a game they should win. They're heavy favorites. I think he's going to play on both are you are you on board with me and how do you see it unfolding as the season progresses yeah I do and, and really it's because both of those guys do something different two can stretch the field Jalen really just doesn't make mistakes and here's the thing DK I don't think people are talking about this enough it's really the defense that that's going to determine who the quarterback is because if Jalen Hurts is lighting up that secondary that brand new secondary in practice that may not be a compliment to Jalen Hurts. It may be an indictment of that secondary. So that actually may play into his favor because he may be the guy they need to stretch the field deep. So you got five new guys in that secondary. 
if they can't play the way they need to play, if the communication is off or whatever, then you need Tua because you need 30 touchdown passes. You may take seven interceptions, but you need that explosiveness. But conversely, if that defense looks like it did last year and those guys in the secondary come together, you might need a guy like Jalen who just doesn't make mistakes. He's done that for two years. So, um, you know, I think it's the defense that really dictates who the starting quarterback is. I do think they play both of them against Louisville. I don't necessarily know how much of a challenge Louisville's actually going to be in terms of, of, of maybe upsetting Alabama, but uh, I think it is a good test to sort of find out where Alabama is defensively, and then as a result, the, the, the quarterback is just going to sort of name itself at that point. Um, so LSU's got a new quarterback, transfer Joe Burrow from Ohio State. Uh, they got Miami, my Hurricanes, on, what is that, Sunday night? Yeah. How's Sunday that night. play out? Roger, you don't have anything to worry about. LSU, from a quarterback perspective, uh, they just don't. I don't know about Joe Burrow. I mean, maybe he's okay. But new system, new school, first game of the year against the Miami defense. Uh, I'm just not buying it. And here's the thing with LSU, guys. Uh, LSU, even when they've had bad quarterback play, Brandon Harris, Anthony Jennings, whoever, they've had a Leonard Fournette. They've had a Darius Geis. They've had a Jeremy Hill. They can run the football. Over 90% of their production on the ground from last year is gone. So you're asking a brand new offense with a new quarterback and a new running back to beat a team like Miami with a stout front seven. I just, I don't see it. I think this is going to end up being a disaster for LSU. You look at the schedule, you look at Ed Orgeron basically pushing all his chips in the middle of the table and saying, hey, look, I'm doing this my way with a conservative offense, the same conservative offense that got Les Miles fired. Uh, I just don't see it. Miami too tough defensively. Offensively getting a guy like Richards back and Malik Rozier another full offseason as a starting quarterback. Uh, it might be sloppy at times. It might not be the most visually appealing game in the world. Uh, but I think Miami gets out of there a win. I don't, I don't think LSU can win games outside of its comfort zone. And, why, and, and Miami's good enough to at least push LSU to the brink of that comfort zone. All right, Raja's in here throwing up the U sign. He's up in here <laughs> celebrating already with Barrett's prediction in that game. That turnover but, chain on. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if they're going to bring it back. They have to, right? I heard there's something different oh, yeah, in the works. Oh, really? Yeah, I heard there's oh, something really? different. What is it? Raj, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have, I'm not fully like. Well, you give it to news. Barrett because he can go out there and break it with. No, him. I don't have the, like the clearance for that, but I got clearance <laughs> enough to know that there's something new in the works. All right. So Monday I'm night, interested. we, yeah, me too. So Monday night, we have Florida State against Virginia Tech. DeAndre Francois named the starter. Willie Taggart, first-year expectations at Florida State. What do you think? I think they're going to be really good, Danny. And and not to, to sit here and make you feel and pump your chest out, but look what they have. They've got Cam Akers, they've got Jaquez Patrick, and they've got DeAndre Francois, a guy who had some success over 3,000 yards passing two years ago. And, and I think with Willie Taggart, the system really fits with what Florida State needs to do. They're a run-based power spread of team. They're going to line wide receivers up outside the numbers and then basically give DeAndre Francois the leeway to say, hey, look, you see numbers inside, throw it outside, vice versa. And he's smart enough to do that. So I think they get by Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech lost three guys in the secondary. So Florida State may have some questions at receiver, but those two things sort of cancel each other out. And Danny, uh, I think Florida State is, is by far and away the primary contender uh, in the Atlantic to Clemson. I think Florida State could potentially make a New Year's Six bowl game, and if they upset Clemson, I wouldn't discount them being in the national championship race. From a culture change, Willie Taggart's exactly what they need. From a scheme change, he's exactly what they need. He does not play old-school time-of-possession football. He's a tempo-based guy who will take some risks and not punt on fourth and one from inside the 30-yard line. And so I, I think they've got a chance. I think Florida State's going to beat Virginia Tech and really uh, – make some waves this year. I don't think they get to the playoff, but I wouldn't discount it either. Damn it, Barrett. You were, <laughs> damn it. I'm sorry. Damn you. All right, look, so, I know, so I know. Let, let's talk about Florida State's ex-coach, right? He's he's at uh, Texas A&M now. 
Massive price tag to get him over there. What does it need to look like in Texas A&M for him to be worth the salary? Well, they need to win a national championship. Not this year uh, because that's just impossible. But they need to win. I mean, you're paying for a national championship, right? Just like Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. That's the that's the only thing that makes this this paycheck worth it and all those commas in his paycheck. So uh, this year, it's just I don't know what's going to work. Kellen Mond's going to be the starting quarterback. I'm not sure how consistent he can be downfield. I do think Jimbo has to sort of swallow his pride a little bit. Uh, at Florida State, it was a lot of run, 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 and then chuck it deep and really didn't do anything in between. Uh, in Texas, just in general, in the state of Texas, you can't do that. You have to play to what the high schools run, and Texas A&M, I think under Kevin Sumlin, actually did that. Uh, Jimbo's going to have to do that as well, and I think he's done a pretty good job hiring Daryl Dickey out of Memphis to run that offense because he, he has been successful doing that. So uh, in the end, once Jimbo gets his guys in, yeah, they need to win a national championship. That's that's what where it is. I don't think it happens uh, until Nick Saban retires, but then you look around the SEC West. I mean, Gus Malzahn's been in that conversation four out of the last five Novembers. Uh, LSU probably isn't going to get done with uh, Ed Orgeron, but fingers crossed you get Lane Kiffin at LSU in 2019. There are a lot of good coaches in the SEC West, and even if Saban does retire, Jimbo's going to have his work cut out for him. All right, so the SEC, I need your pick. Who's going to play in the championship game? I feel like I hate picking it because everybody is. I have Alabama, Georgia. Are you with – are you kind of – because it's hard to find anybody else to even be in there. Are you with me on that one? Yeah, super chalky. I think Georgia wins the East. South Carolina, Georgia in week two could change the landscape, but I think Georgia wins the East. Alabama, Auburn, the Iron Bowl decides the West. Alabama wins it, uh, and Alabama gets Georgia in the SEC championship game. Boom. There you have it. Put it on lock because Barrett's been money the last couple <laughs> years. Follow him on Twitter at Barrett Silly. He's one of the one of the few guys that actually posts your picks out there and holds them uh, accountable, like shows puts them out there. So good for you for doing that. Thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. All right. See you, boys. We just got picks from Barrett. Another place you can get picks from is Sportsline. For winning picks and fantasy advice, go to Sportsline. They combine simulations with expert analysis to give you an edge all football season. Sportsline members get picks from experts, former handicappers, and computer simulations, and deep fantasy analysis covering who you should draft, add, start, and more. Plus, members have exclusive access to daily fantasy lineups from DFS millionaire Mike McClure. Join Sportsline today and get your first month for only $1 by using the promo code PASS. Just go to sportsline.com slash join and enter promo code PASS during payment to get Sportsline now for $1. Terms apply. Visit sportsline.com slash offer for details. All right. Uh, we had a guy retire in the NBA who my boy here. You know, believe. Oh, that screwed up the teeth. I, I love. Trying to think like everybody didn't know who it was. You made a comment about him though that I think people are going to be shocked because you yeah. said he was tougher the guard than someone. We're going to tell you who next on off the bench. I shouldn't ruin that, right? <laughs> All right, welcome back to off the bench. Uh, your boy Manu Ginobili. We talked about it the other day. Like he was discussing, he was thinking about it, he was yeah. pondering whether he should retire. Good for him. Decided. You know what? I've had a lengthy career. I've had a ton of success. Decides to hang it up at the age of 41. Good for you, Manu. It was a hell of a career. Like, uh, it, you're at a point now where you're third, uh, in Spurs franchise. You're third in games played. You're fifth in points, first in three points, fourth in a, you're top five in, what is that, five categories? Um, it was a hell of a ride. And, you know, I got a chance to see him when I went, I played in, uh, in, in, uh, in Spain for a year. I got to see him when he was not in the NBA yet. He was still with Bologna, I believe it was, an Italian team. And he was really good. Like when you saw him, you knew he was different than everybody else out there on the court, but you still didn't know if that was going to translate into like NBA success because there weren't that many guys who have really done it at a high level yet. 
Um, and he came in and just took the league by storm with some of the stuff that he did, like the Euro step. I mean, they teach that now. That was never taught when I came up playing. He was one of the first dudes to kind of use that, like, God, sham God type of move in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really tough to guard with his left. Um, and, uh, like, he would be what we call in Miami, like, he had an Aki style about him. Like, it was just a little off, off rhythm, if you will. You know, it was really, really difficult to guard. So, how difficult? You had a quote. Yeah. Uh, from 2016. People always ask, this is you. People always ask me who was the hardest to guard. I say, uh, I say Kobe. That is what people want to hear. But the truth is, it might have been Manu. He'd rev it to fourth gear, get by you, take it back to second gear, so you'd run into him. And then he'd make a crazy floater. I made a living studying offensive players. I couldn't figure him out. Yeah, he he was really unorthodox, like Aki. Like it was like a really funky, um, you get a rhythm. You just do. You get a, you get a bead on the guy you're playing against and what he wants to do and how his body moves and stuff like that. And this guy was like a contortionist and he was just playing at a different rhythm, um, than everybody else. Or he could change his rhythm and it would catch you off, a, off guard. And so, um, that was really hard to guard. Plus you couple it with the fact that you knew he was going left. You knew he was going left. And I try to teach my kids this to some degree. Um, it's you've got to have both hands. Mano did, but he ultimately wanted to get left, and he was a master of taking you far enough to the right with his left that he could then get left. <laughs> so, like you knew he was going left, and the more you tried to force him right, the more it opened up him getting back to his left, um, which was like impossible to guard. So, uh, really, really tough. I mean, Kobe is Kobe, uh, but Mano was right up there in terms of being almost impossible to guard. Plus, my son's teams very rarely had success against him in the playoffs. We shared an agent. Um, so there is some love there. Right. But same draft a, class? There's a lot of hate. I didn't get drafted. Draft we talk about draft no, class. I, mean, I don't even know what draft no, I mean, class I was you know in. The same age. Like I don't even know. Same year that you I don't even know. I don't even know. There'd be no way for me to know. <laughs> you know what I mean. You guys go back same age. Same, <laughs> We're same age. age. Same age. Yeah. For sure. Draft class, not the way. Uh, you also have the infamous double flop that <laughs> went together. <laughs> the double flop is like legendary. Like everybody loves that one. You had to flop. Yeah. You had to. You had Cause he was flopping. it out there. Exactly. You had to do it. Uh, what do we have? Some tweets about Manu? We have some love for him. Uh, defending the Eurostep. The Eurostep has changed the game. Like, that's what everybody's doing. LeBron shows a shout out to him. One hell of a career. It was a pleasure to match up against you. Um, regular season finals. He had a gold medal with Argentina in sure. 2004. Uh, incredible career. Kobe, the greats. You know, all these dudes are shouting him out. Do you think they, like, it's kind of like what you have to do now, though. Yeah, I think everybody. Don't you look like a jerk. I think everybody does. I think the retired guys, though, like Kobe, are not doing it. Maybe. Jerk shouting him out. Amazing career. Congrats. Great player. Fierce competitor. He was Winner. a fierce, Next stop. fierce competitor, though. Like yeah. a, a really fierce, not a talker, but like an assassin in his own right. He was Kobe-ish in his level of like a, assassin mentality. I uh, separated my ribs once. Like on a, on like going after. Oh, bro, separated my ribs on like a nasty little elbow. Uh-huh. He, he probably flopped after he hit me with the damn elbow, but he's just nasty like that in a good way. Right. Yeah. So he was a part of one of the uh the best dynasties that the NBA has seen with five titles. Uh, it was the crew. It was him, Parker, and uh your boy Tim Duncan. I don't think we appreciate them enough, and I think in large part it's because of where they played. It's a smaller market that doesn't get much. Love. They had personalities who really put the team above self. Like yeah. they didn't have anybody that was looking for, you know, personal glory or just kind of that superstar, like solo guy. And I think we often overlook this as one of the greatest dynasties. I, I think the sport. your second point is why people don't like people who know basketball fans, they respect what they did there, but the lack of a, like a real marketable star, like a guy that was willing to put himself out there kind of in the media, they didn't, they didn't have that, right? You had, 
There was maybe a little language barrier with Manu and, and Tony. Although they were big stars in their country, they never really like uh, hit the market here in the U.S. And Timmy wasn't really interested in doing that. Bruce Bowen wasn't that guy. So the, you didn't have like a marketable personality for that dynasty. Right. Um, but like what they did on the court year in and year out, no matter who was injured, uh, was pretty remarkable. And it speaks to... You know, a lot of things. Speak a lot of. Uh, I always say it starts from the top down. Like you have to have great guys to buy in. It'll take a little bit less to keep the thing going and all of that. Uh, but when you have a system that's kind of plug and play, it speaks to what you're doing from the top. And that's you know R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich and ownership there in San Antonio. And you know San Antonio is one of those sneaky towns. Like I enjoyed my time there. And quite frankly, there's not a whole whole lot going on. So you'd be about your basketball, right? Uh, I want to make sure I don't say anything bad about San Antonio because one time I think I did. And we had a, a listener to our podcast that wasn't you know super thrilled with me. Oh really? Yeah, I think I. Did, but I was like, it was like, have you ever been? I've never been. I'm nice golf. About it. Good restaurants. See? Yeah, like I, I mean, San just Antonio. not a huge huge amount to do at night, but right. like. Hey, it's not the I'm, worst thing ever. I'm I'm in bed every night at eight o'clock anyway, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. All right, let's get to uh, socially relevant because Hannah's got some uh, some good stuff for us, including a throwback. It's not even Throwback Thursday. What do you got for us, Hannah? I was just gonna say that, Danny. I was like, it's not even <laughs> Thursday, but we're starting with a throwback because this one is too good to pass up. So when Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry were at LSU, we couldn't have predicted that they would turn into two of the most dynamic receivers in the NFL. But of course, that's exactly what happened. So when the good news of OBJ's contract came out on Monday, Landry posted. This old pick of the duo to congratulate his former teammate. He wrote everything we spoke into existence started way back when. And turns out this pick is actually from an LSU football camp from their high school days. So, guys, I just have to say my throwback photo from high school just looks a little bit different. Just like a <laughs> tiny bit different. Right? <laughs> but I bet I could tell it was you. With this one, I think they look so different. I could hardly tell. Like, I was like, are we sure this is them? Yeah. Like, they've changed so much. Hats and hair will make you look a lot <laughs> <Yes>. different. <laughs> I mean, they're almost unrecognizable. When I'm looking at them, I was like, are we sure that's them? And yeah. then you're like, oh yeah, that's them. You can see like the features, see the eyes. You can still see it there. But I was like, man, those are young babies. That's they're a, puppies. a lot of money on one picture there. Yes, it is. Both of them paid for sure. Are y'all about posting those those old high school photos, those throwbacks. I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> now that we put it over, all right, I'm we're bringing straight. those back tomorrow. We're going to put up some high school photos of all of us. Okay, well, you guys know Ocho Cinco, right? Well, how about Ocho Cinco Junior? He made headlines over the weekend when he scored this game-winning touchdown. Check this out. It was for his California high school. So when you guys see athletes, kids. Is it weird at all? And how old does it make you feel, really? Because it makes me feel old. Uh, we went down and got Ocho it on that Cinco. one. How old is oh, Ocho right now? You got, uh, he's probably close to your age, I bet. Yeah, I, I guess Ocho Cinco's around not, your age. Yeah. This kid looks pretty good. It does I, make me feel old, though, Hannah. Yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> does. Sorry, it, it does make, it make me feel really old, too. Um, his kid was listed. I asked uh, Coca, I said, you know, what's he listed at? I think he said 6'3", 180. I was like, oh, that means in reality he's probably 6'1", 160. Yeah. You always add up. I, I was 6'5", in high school. What year is he? Wait, I was 6'5", in high school. What year is he in Coca? Do you know? He's a class. Yeah, he's a class of two, uh, 2020. I wonder why. He's already been offered. I think he's been offered by FAU. There were some other schools they've been offered by. Maybe West Virginia. Yeah, Coca West Virginia. Oregon State. Okay. Well, he's going he's gonna, to, I mean, four-star, he's going to get the offers are going to come. I wonder why a guy like Chad, who is from here, um, 
with the hotbed that is like South Florida football. As I'm living in California. As I'm living in Cali. Like I, I sometimes I wonder that. I mean, right. maybe it's I mean, situation. Cali's, Cali's not a bad option if you're going to play. Like their their football is pretty good out there too. I like I'm partial to Florida as well. Like, right. Where the no, I know I'm not saying that Cali is like right. I'm not saying that they're not good, but I mean like if you're from here, right. And the the football is of quality here. It just right. make I wonder. Like, right. Who knows? Well, I don't know. You're just trying to angle for him to get to Miami. <laughs> All right. What else, Anna? What do you got? All right. Last one, guys. So from one star player to another. This time we're talking about LA Galaxy star Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So turns out he sent out personal emails directly from him telling season ticket holders to renew their season tickets. So this fan, Leslie, tweeted out her exact email. It's a pretty simple email. And what it looked like. She also provided an update. She said that she did renew because she felt like she had to. So how do you guys feel about this approach? Hey, direct marketing at its best, right? I mean, that's what it is. I like how it's short and succinct. He's like, nothing, you will renew. Uh, Zlatan, he's been incredible for Bad LA. Boy. Like, he's been a huge star for MLS. Like, he's he's put the, the – and they've had their share of stars with Beckham coming and playing. Sure. But like it's reinvigorated the fans out there for sure. I, so I needed. I don't. I'm admittedly I don't know MLS like that, and I don't know what he. I don't either. I just made Europe. all that up. No, but no, but because he is, he has hit the MLS, and he just looks better than everybody else in the MLS. I don't you know. know. What always happens though. I don't know if we've gotten one of those guys like this close to their prime. You know, like Thierry Henry came over, and I think he had success, but I don't know if he came over and was like, like just dragging like the MLS. You know, this guy is going to work is this the best 36 i was looking up how old he was so i mean that's getting up there but i guess guys are able to play at a high level for longer as we're seeing in all sports yeah and, and that's what it has to do with well i think the mls is kind of like the equivalent to like like euro league. euro league basketball right like where their soccer like the english premier league and stuff would probably be the nba right in terms of like quality so it's not crazy that he'd come over and look better here than he looks over there. Right. But I don't know if we've gotten any of their guys over here we'll in this get form. To a point. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where somebody that's a stud, 20, 22 years old, comes and plays in MLS first? That money has to be... Right. Like, the money's got to be right. Right. got to be... Wait, wait. I, I tell you, I think there is a spot for the MLS with the, with the rise of the NBA, with the rise of soccer, and with the fall of football. I could picture a scenario in 20 years, like way down the road, where the MLS is able to throw that kind of money out there. When you're seeing Robert Kraft and all these NFL, like they're investing in, yeah. in MLS teams. They know franchises. something. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're kind of keeping a landscape over where sports are moving, and it feels like football is dying and soccer is coming up. Well, to that point, not that I mean anything, but like I don't really follow soccer except like the World Cup and stuff like that. I'm with you. This Miami team that's coming. You're getting season tickets, I am. you're in? I am, because I like, the, I like the atmosphere that it looks like it has when it's on TV and stuff like that, and yeah. I want something to take my kids to. The average MLS salary is only a hundred grand. That's yeah. not exactly going to pull a lot of guys in and make it tempting. It might not get me out of retirement no, there to play sure. MLS. Hannah, are you going out to watch uh, the, the Miami team when they're here? You'll be there, right? Maybe, perhaps. Straight to South It'll be like Ooh. one of your Miami nights where I'm home by 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a late one, by the way. <laughs> all right, guys, that is all for Socially Relevant. Roger said that he wasn't about the throwbacks, but it looks like he has no choice. He's got be sure homework. to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Raja and Danny break down some leftovers for us. Stay with us. You're watching Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Let's finish it up with some leftovers. So the helmet-to-helmet rule has been one of the most polarizing topics across all of the NFL landscape. Players have been complaining about it. Coaches have been complaining. Fans have been complaining about it. 
The NFL dialed it back a little bit, and they actually have called less penalties in week three, which is supposed to be the dress rehearsal for everybody, right? That's one supposed to be closest to an NFL game. So there were 51 penalties in 33 games through the first two weeks, right? 51 penalties. There were only nine in 16 games in the third week of the preseason. And I'd say thank goodness because I do think they absolutely overcorrected the other way. I thought the officials, and they were probably taught this in the offseason, they were taught, hey, if there's any question – Throw it like, and then I think like the officials made the mistake of if it sounds like a big hit because it's so fast you can't see it. Right. But if there's a big collision and you hear wham, they're gonna call it. And I think they started to try to go. All right, let me really think. Let me let me let me just make sure that it really was as bad a hit or as bad of helmet to helmet contact as I think it was, as opposed to just letting the flag fly left and right. And I think that'll be better for the game. Well, I I agree, and and it's preseason for them too. Right. And so you have this point of emphasis. Um, and the refs, you can have as much like training as you want on video screen and hey, that was it and that, but it's not live action. Like that's essentially like me sitting there and watching film and pick and roll and saying, oh, okay, I understand it. And then putting like four guys out there with me and then me having to run pick and roll. So they have to get acclimated to making the call real time and kind of figuring out like subjectively if it was or if it wasn't. And, and, there was an emphasis on it, so it was natural that there was an overcorrection. Correction. Uh, I'm glad they used their common sense. Yeah, and got thank it right. goodness, because I, it's, it's, uh, it, I'm, I don't want to talk about it because I'll get too fired up talking about what it's going to look like. We'll see how it goes week one. Hopefully, yeah. they take this measured approach right here. Uh, DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Francois named the starter. Willie Taggart, uh, after practice yesterday, said, "You know what? We've had a competition. Him and James Blackman going with the." Not more experience because Jane Blackman played a ton, but he was, he had more success when he was on the field, uh, as a redshirt freshman. Then of course we all know what happened against Alabama towards ACL. He was out. I think he fits what Willie Taggart wants to do better as well. I think he's going to be a little bit more of a dual threat. Yeah. They're going to run a up tempo, fast offense that they're going to go at it. And I think this was kind of, I think everybody kind of knew this was coming. More like Quentin Flowers than James Blackman is. Yeah, like Quentin Flowers is who had at UCF. Yeah. Uh, just finished up there and USF. so yeah, USF. With, my bad. Tiger when he was yeah, there. my bad. Yeah, Tiger. Um, but point being, I agree with you because I like James Blackman too. I mean, but he is a rail. He's super thin. Um, and his comp- like his TD to interception ratio wasn't nearly as good as uh, as true Francois. Freshman. He had to play as a true, which had never it hadn't happened in like thirty right. years at Florida State. It. Is or do so you remember your past. freshman year? Oh, like you're not ready to do anything. You're barely uh, figuring out how to live on your own. Right, right. I was trying to figure out where do I get my laundry. Right. Like how am I going to get clean clothes as opposed to like, hey, I got to go out there and lead a team down the field. I will say this though. USC named a true freshman quarterback, JT Daniels. More guys now are ready of it because of high school systems, which are more similar to what they're running in college. Right. But I go back and look at it. I would be terrified. I would have been terrified to do it uh, for sure. You know what else terrifies me? The win total that Vegas has set for Florida State. Do you know what it is? I'll give you a guess. Florida State win total over under by Vegas, seven and a half, Ugh. which is awful. Like I, I'm sitting there thinking – that's, take it, take the over. Yeah, it's easy. That, you have, uh, eight is the West. They usually total. know that. a different one. Exactly. That's what has me terrified. <laughs> Week one is going to be a huge game for them against Virginia Tech at home. I think they, it's a must win. I mean, it feels like it's way too early to have a must win game, but to get the Willie Taggart era to kind of capture this energy and momentum that he's got in the program, sure. it does feel like it has to be a must win. And then it's like, all right, good luck the rest of the season. If, no, like, Miami if, down here, we need to be at that game. Do we, yeah, we need to be at that game. <laughs> yeah. do, is there any kind of like, if he doesn't win that first game, Willie Taggart, no, like, is there he'll a get grace a, period they'll give him? 
Florida State, you don't get that much of a grace period. There'll be some one game. They only one game. <laughs> There'll be some rumblings if they did lose that game. Yeah. They would be like, all right, Sheesh. It's, a- <laughs> Sheesh. it's the same thing in Miami. It's Sheesh. the same thing. You got to week one is a huge one. <laughs> um, we talked a lot about the 76ers, uh, yeah. the fiasco they had with Brian Colangelo when he was dismissed with the, the tweets that were going on with the burner account. Should he have been fired? Should he not? He ended up, uh, did, uh, ending up getting dismissed. So at the time we speculated there was even some friends of the podcast that might have been considered for yeah. the job. And the Sixers said, you know what? We're just going to go with an interim. We're going to kind of collaborative effort. Didn't name anyone. And now it looks like they're going to continue to do that with Brett Brown, the head coach also serving as the interim GM. Don't love this. Don't love it. I just think it's really, really hard to do both of those jobs. Now what they, what they are going to do is they're, they're, um, they're promoting Ned Cohen, Mark Eversley, and Elton Brand into some expanded roles within. So they're, they're trying to surround him with the support staff. Um, well, they'll, they'll do the job and he'll probably have final say on some of that stuff. It's not unlike what they've been doing in LA for a while with, um, with Doc Rivers. Right. It's still very hard. I mean, he might not be doing the grunt work of that job, but it's still really difficult. He's got enough on his plate. You know how stressful being a head coach is at, at most levels, let alone like the highest level? To have any other decisions filter down to you is just stress that you don't need. You have the budget. Hire someone to do the damn job. It's too much. Yeah, and it's – what about this time of year, though? Like, is it because the draft is done, free agency's mostly been quiet? Like, does it matter? Because I feel like they were like, ah, we missed out on LeBron. Like, let's just kind of roll with Well, this time, time of year is clearly not as important as 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 other times of year. There's not like that many free draft. agents out there. Right. You don't have anything going on except getting That's yourself ready for camp. That's what I feel they've done. Like, they're kind of setting themselves to do something next offseason. Maybe they're just buying time. You'd miss a whole year, though. Yeah. Yeah. Good I mean, there are trades that, there are trades that can, you know, transpire around trade deadline. There, you gotta be targeting all these kids in, in NCAA and in EuroLeague. I mean, there's all kind of prep work that has to take place, um, that you need professionals in there doing. Not that these guys in the front office aren't professionals or bump one of them up and let them be GM. Right. Uh, so I, one of the things about football season I always love, whenever you get the roster, it's like pronunciations. What are you going to do? Who are you going to call game? I got a couple dudes for you. Easy to pronounce, but they are memorable for sure. Yeah. So Michigan, uh, Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech. <laughs> is that a real school out there that plays? Michigan. Is that for real? Uh, Steel Fortress. A I quarterback. Like I just like a, a better quarterback. Name for a defensive lineman, Steel right? Steel Fortress. How about another quarterback? This kid's in high school and he does have a lineage of quarterbacks in his, his family. General Booty. That General is a booty. bad, you know what? That's a, that's a sweet name right there. I mean, General if, Booty. But like, what do you if, call him every day? To the main stage? Like, that sounds like a, <laughs> That sounds like it His would be uncle a, is John David Booty. Any relation to Pirates Booty? My kids love Pirates Booty. <laughs> like it's a healthy maybe popcorn an snack. Heir to that throne, maybe. I don't know. What do you call him? GB? You call him Jen? GB? Booty. <laughs> <laughs>